Okay. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Film director and actor Matt Mickelson and I have enjoyed many shows discussing everything from our beloved Star Wars to our choices of movies that can make a man cry. And today, Matt is back for more, except today we are going to visit that other medium, the medium that has presently taken over the movie-going public and taken us back to our sofas and media rooms. Yes, folks, I am speaking about television. When I was a kid, TV was it. The black box that entered our homes and brought us into a new world. Whether it was the 6 o'clock news or the Ed Sullivan show, Americans were introduced to a world outside of their radio and into the visual. And as everything seems to run in cycles, television is back to a renaissance wonder of Netflix or Amazon productions. And on the flip side, enough reality-based productions to kill our sense of imagination. So today, Matt Mickelson and I would like to take time to discuss our favorite TV series over the years. In some cases, we will reflect on the shows that influenced us to become the artists that we are today. And perhaps we can help to reignite the curiosity in our listeners for you to look backwards for a moment. Matt Mickelson, welcome to Center Stage. When last we met, we had the excuse of talking about upcoming movie news. Now, that was a fun show. Sure. Yeah. yeah why not? Yeah, okay. yeah, whatever. No, it was good stuff. <laughs> I, I had fun. I always do. But onwards. So, yes. how are things with you? How are the Han Solo Chronicles? Good, good. Everything's uh, cranking along. Going to go uh, scout some locations soon. And, I love it. Uh, try to get a few permits uh, crossed off so uh, no one freaks out if... Uh, you know, there's a bunch of stormtroopers running around the park with explosions and whatnot. So. I love that. You think people would complain? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just have to ask the most important question we haven't discussed before. Sure. Is there a part in the film for me? Why not? Well, can we find something? Yeah, I can always write something. <laughs> I would love that. That, that would make, make sense. Sure. my life. <laughs> I would run around in anything. I'll even be a stormtrooper. I don't okay. care. We could spitball all, you know, you could be the stunt stormtrooper, the one that we, you know, abuse and, um, you know, put too close to explosives. And... No. <laughs> I could be a baby Wookiee, a short Wookiee. That we can, you know, have too abuse. close to explosives. and. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, I'm done being nice. Dead Wookiee number five. <laughs> yes. No, no, we'll come up with something clever. It'll be fun. All right. So... Onwards to our sure. show today, which I'm loving. I mean, looking back at TV over the years, or should I say, let's look back to the future in a way, you know? Yeah, why not? It, it sounds like a movie to me. It does. It could be. <laughs> a Robert Zemeckis production. Maybe. maybe. With a DeLorean. I love it. <laughs> so, all right. I have challenged you to think of 10 TV series that were really incredible to you? I mean, from growing up until now to the present day, I mean, things that influenced you, maybe things you just love, things that you can watch all the time and never get tired of, or maybe things you think are just really important for all of us to remember. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I could, like I said, I could talk all day about this stuff because um, there's so much and, and so much that comes up while you're, while you're thinking about it. Mm. But the quintessentials for me, I mean, growing up in the 70s was especially Gilligan's Island and Wonder Woman, you know, where, where I think they, they played back to back. 
That's why I always saw them. And uh, Gilligan's Island, exactly. Wonder Woman. And 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 uh, they they had a lot of similar elements, and they were just fun to watch. Similar elements. I guess there was always this, uh, you know, sense of adventure, but also, uh, you know, people just bumbling around. But at the same time, uh, with Wonder Woman, you know, she she wasn't just this damsel in distress. She was she was uh, she was hardcore. Yeah, she was very hardcore. And even back then, they showed how, you know, uh, the men would in, uh, assume she was this weak thing, and she would walk in and kick everyone's butt. I know it was so great, and uh, and always save um, you know the the colonel or whoever. Well, that was uh, Dream of Genie. But anyway, yeah, you know. yeah, let's. <laughs> <laughs> they always Same inserted kind of the thing. Air Force in there somehow. You Different know, color so. hair. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say though about Gilligan's Island and Wonder Woman, nobody on Gilligan's Island had a waist as small as Linda Carter. No, 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 no. She was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, she was she wasn't just that. She she was way be- I mean, believe me, I, I had a huge crush on Linda Carter when I was 5. Oh, really? Um Couldn't she never imagine. knew. Um but uh but but she was just so much more than that, I think. Mm. You know, and and you just you just saw beyond it after a little bit. Yeah. You know, you really wanted to uh, you know, uh Go have a beer with her or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Even when I was five, you know. Yeah, so. there was something about her. It was really grounded. Yeah. So, and she came, Wonder Woman came after Bionic Man, didn't didn't she? I think it was about the same time. Yeah, so we had to keep it equal. Yeah. Which was and hooray I for Hollywood. They did they do a couple of cross episodes, like way late when the writers started running out of, out I think of ideas? I they probably did. Because um, Steve, the Bionic Man, Steve Austin, was was pretty high on my agenda at that age, too, 75, 76 um, cause, and I, and I had all the action figures, you know, they were 12 inch dolls back then. And you got to look through his skull and <laughs> see the, the, the super little brain. Uh, no, no. Like, <laughs> like he had this, like, uh, uh, by, um, binocular effect where you got to see a little bit farther cause he's huh. special or whatever. And, um, and, and he had this spaceship that was not much bigger than him, uh, which was ridiculous, but fun at the time. And, uh, I lost, I kept losing the dolls at like church. And stuff, you know, because I'd be like playing on the floor, you of know, while you while the parents are listening to uh, the, sermon. the uh the sermon. And uh, I I was raised Catholic, and uh, I, I I we would leave the church and it'd be gone. Of course, and, and it was. that happened like five times till they just told me to you know tough cookies. <laughs> <laughs> they are gone forever. Yep. Don't bring them back in here. Yep. I love it. I love it. So. Tell me just what TV meant to you uh, growing up, Matt. Well, I mean, remember, you know, back in the 70s and early 80s, we had uh, four channels. We had the big three Mm -hmm. and then PBS. Um, And uh, that was it. So if you wanted to see a show, you had to be there for it. And uh, Mm -hmm. then you had to wait a whole week. For another one, yeah, because there was no taping, there were no. there was no video, that none of this existed. Yeah, no, you like you, you might miss an important plot point on Dukes of Hazard or something like that. Uh, I doubt it. Yeah, yeah. well, I well, the it. funny thing about Dukes of Hazard is when I was eleven or twelve, I thought it was the best thing ever, and then I went went back and watched it when I was like maybe twenty five or thirty. I'm like, oh my god, this is awful. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> like, what drunk college students are making this thing? Um, All I can think about are the cars jumping. I mean, endlessly. Yeah, they you had know? like 15 cars on set, it, it was you know, insane. to destroy all day. <laughs> it was um, insane. But, but it was just watching the storylines and how, like, 
rough the acting was and like how the walls moved, you know, because they were on a set, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same thing with Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers was done very cheaply. And Gil Gerard was, everyone was was wearing yoga pants back in the 70s. That was their modern outfits, which actually came true. Um, But he would wear a V-neck leotard (laughs) down to his belly button with huge amounts of chest hair popping out. Uh, and, and then he would have to deliver a serious line, like, I'm here to rescue you. And, um, but you know, so, I thought Buck Rogers was kind of interesting. It was. It was so different. It was. It was totally different for the time. But that is also a show that, that I saw recently and, uh, on, I think, Me TV or something like that. And the set walls moved when they ran by them or, oh, or knocked it. into them. And then. I love it. And you just see, once again, how they probably had like 35 cents to make the show or they blew it all on cocaine. I don't do you, know. Do you know how many times that happens in, in opera productions? Like on main stage, like the Met, the walls will shake. Mm-hmm. I mean, they open a door and you're worried about things falling down. It's it's incredible. But I love it when it happens on television. Well, I love yeah, it. Yeah, because that thing's going to be out there in, in media for the rest of uh-huh. forever. Eternity. You know, and it, like an opera show, that's a, you know, <laughs> if, if we don't do it great tonight, it'll be fine tomorrow night. We'll, we'll you know, tighten down the wall. Who knows? <laughs> you know, but but, uh, <laughs> but on TV, it's or movies even. You know, it's it's there forever, and and that you'll always be known as the guy that bumped into the wall that fell down. Oh, I love that. So for me, growing up in Eastern Oregon, I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere, and I'm talking, you know, back in the '50s, '60s. Now, I'm in a small town. We had the little rabbit ears on top of the TV, and mm-hmm. we had three channels. We didn't even get PBS. Oh, really? And here I ended up being an opera singer without the influence of PBS yeah. ever for the longest time. But I've got to say that it was really classic films and just our meager choice you know, of, of the main uh, channels that lifted me out of Eastern Oregon and into the rest of the world. Now, this to me was was unbelievable. It gave me my world. I mean, things like the Ed Sullivan Show, mm-hmm. the wonderful world of Disney, the things that ignited our our inspiration and our imagination are what we're missing today a little bit, I think, you know, with, of course, looking into reality shows. But, but there's so much good going on right well, now. Well, after being in a uh, 15-year... How how can I say this? Uh, a fifteen year, fifteen years of reality shows. Because back in like two thousand two thousand one, all the networks said, "Hey, we could do these reality shows. We could fire all the writers, and uh, these things only cost a few hundred grand as opposed to millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. Everyone will watch it because they're the you know." I, we we we're doubting the intelligence of our audience, mm-hmm. and that ha- yeah. that went. Uh, like gangbusters for 15 years and all those writers that either lost interest or lost their job or whatever, they all went to the cable networks and that's where you got Mad Men. That's where you got Sopranos. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden there was a small fringe of the audience that were able to find this, you know, um, and as opposed to being subject to reality shows. And now you have so much good material between Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, that mm-hmm. there's almost too much good stuff. Yeah, you that we don't know about. It. Yeah, yeah, that be, that you find out willy-nilly. I mean, if this stuff was on networks 20, 15 years ago, it would be the top 
rated something. Um, but but now there's just a glut of really good stuff because there's a lot of good art being done. But also it, it, it the networks are panicking because now they got to get back into scripted television because the reality stuff doesn't it. hold up. Yeah, yeah. You know, because all the reality stuff is is just a producer telling, you know, some civilians to, you know, have a few shots and you're angry at this person, you're angry at that person, mm-hmm. roll cameras. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's all that stuff is. And for people that that are taken in by that, well, you know, they're losing their demand for good storytelling. Why are we okay with the reality TV show thing? Why? I'm not okay with it. I, I realize that. <laughs> neither am I. But, but the rest of America seems to be watching when indeed – remember in the beginning when it was just Japanese reality shows that were – wild and crazy they were ridiculous to the point of the hilarity was uh, almost obscene well they make fun of on saturday night live all the time yeah yeah um but i think that that, you know your common tv viewer i guess in america or wherever maybe maybe it's just like a being a passive baseball fan you you like going but you know you're not going to follow a team or really get involved yeah. and maybe that's what they're doing they, they don't know that they're watching something bad or good they're just watching something so you mentioned the sopranos mm-hmm. and i look at the sopranos as being one of those series that really really set a new bar yeah um well because it was a movie the, the rolling St- rolling stone when they when they um uh, issued their 100 best tv series of all times the sopranos was number one Number one. And, you know, it's interesting because, in a way, it was such a hot mess, this show. Mm -hmm. It was so ridiculous. It took away kind of our our intoxication with gangsters and made it real. But yet it was so compelling. Yeah. And and who thought – I mean – the, the beauty of The Sopranos, the beauty of the writing, was you never knew when someone was going to shoot their mouth off and get dead. Yeah. You know, because that's the only way you get dead in the mob is by, you know, not keeping your ego in check and then mm-hmm. yelling at the boss in front of other people. And then you're going to end up in a riverbed face down. Um, mm-hmm. And and that, that show, of course, spawned Mad Men. And the beauty of Mad Men was you never knew when he was going to get found out. Mm-hmm. That was the big, you know, when does he get in trouble and when does he get whacked? That was that. Was that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, the beauty of, the, of the, that writing team. Um, but even in The Sopranos, you remember you had that, that kind of counterbalance with Tony Soprano going to the psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to root for him. You know, yeah. all the time. Still, we want to get behind the gangsters. Well, that that was kind of, uh, you know, in the mid-90s when they came out with Pulp Fiction and uh, other movies like that You and started celebrating the anti-hero or the, uh, you know, the uh, caring hitman that you wanted to root for. Uh, I, I think that might have developed out of that because mm-hmm. now you had this mobster that the writers are asking you to be on his side. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. You, and you find yourself going there because you're getting into this guy's life as opposed to him just being this two-dimensional bully that pops up every once in a while to bother the, the uh, main character. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Which that's usually their, a mobster's portrayal in most movies. They're just this bad guy that shows up to, to uh, you know, ruin someone's life. Um, mm, as opposed to being, you know, having his life ruined by, you know, j- paying bills and, you know, his kids getting in trouble in school and, you know, regular parent stuff that bothers everybody else. I mm-hmm. think maybe that's why people identify with it because, oh, he's just like me, but he kills people. <laughs> exactly. 
it can get a little rough around the edges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've got to bring up Monty Python. Now, when I was touring with the Roger Wagner Corral a thousand years ago, we were in Texas and we had a day off. And I had a choice of being able to go see Jaws or Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And a bunch of us went to the Holy Grail. I thought it was the most hilarious thing I'd ever seen in my life. I could not believe how this this odd comedy just kind of grated on your skin, but you wanted more. So when I got back, I became an addict to the Flying Circus. Mm-hmm. To me, that was discovering satire, which was pretty unknown in America up yeah. to that point. Yeah, was so brilliant, and it was usually political. This thing we shied away from. Um, and it was so cutting edge. It was so ridiculous. I mean, really, I, I, the lumberjack song, um, the parrot <laughs> sketch. The I mean, we could go on and on and yeah. on. Cats blowing up. There's never like a punchline, really. Yeah. You know, the Ministry of Silly Walks. I can't imagine life without Monty Python, and especially without the Flying Circus. Yeah, I, d- I didn't appreciate and appreciate it until I was much older, because you know, I, I was younger. I didn't really get. <clears throat> That type of humor. I mean, the the mm-hmm. only place I was getting that type of humor was like the Pink Panther or, uh, um, but that was Peter tame, Sellers. Yeah, you know, I know, in comparison, I know. you know, it didn't have that that raw edge. They the pythons would go anywhere. It oh, was yeah. just incredible. Well, and and out of that, you know, did not I'm, uh, the, it kind of uh, made a uh, it was circuitous of of Saturday Night Live and went straight to say Kids in the Hall. Exactly. Which exactly. were doing similar things exactly. like that. So if you recognize the character these guys are playing, then you're in on the joke. Because mm-hmm. um, some of this stuff was a little obscure. Like the one I always remember is the uh, the couple, of course, both played by men, mm-hmm. um, one a woman, one a man. And they're trying to get the car started to go to something. And uh, he's like, oh, no problem. Let The man is, oh, I'll fix it, no problem. He looks in the hood and he just looks at the engine. He's like, try it now. <laughs> and he does this like 20 <laughs> times and then he like he rotates the tires he does all kinds of stuff and finally he paints the car another color and he's like try it now and it works you know <laughs> oh my gosh it's so t- it's so typical yeah. speaking i love it when they would uh, would be in drag and they'd be speaking in their falsetto voices no. which, yeah. oh my gosh in heaven and of course that spawned faulty towers yeah which, again, I think is a masterpiece. Just a few episodes, but John Cleese at his best. Mm-hmm. And apparently the Pythons, when they were shooting sketches for Flying Circus, they stayed at a hotel that was very much like oh, Faulty Towers. That and that's what mm. inspired them. And I always remember Manuel. I do not want to work for you anymore, Mr. Faulty. Oh, it was so brilliant. So incredible. And that was brilliant. like 82, 83, I think. Yeah, it's going yeah. back a bit. Because when I was, you know, 12, 13, go, you know, passing through the British stuff on PBS, I, I just didn't get it, you know. Yeah. Um, Benny Hill I got, but, you know, because it was basically okay. Bugs Bunny. Um, Actually, yeah, with that that kind of dirty side. I mean, well, yeah, it's the only place you could see that kind of stuff back then was on PBS. That's right. Benny <laughs> Hill was something else. Where are you on things like um, moonlighting? Or... Oh God, that was a good one. I almost forgot about that's that. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Civil Shepherd, Bruce Willis. And he had one credit and what before was the one that with Pierce Bronson. Oh, Remington Steel. Remington Steel. That I mean, was this about is the same time. All kind of in the same vat, but yeah. didn't you think that Moonlighting had, I, I, if you were a fan, or if you've yeah, seen I, it? I totally was, yeah. So I felt it was almost intoxicating. They had such an aura. Uh, it, it was helped by the soft filter all the time. Oh, yeah. 
But always we were invoked into these stories and these two crazies, they were actually just a fantastic comedy team. Well, they would break the fourth wall all the time. They would look at the camera and give a look <laughs> or say something that the other character yes. wasn't aware of. Or they would both look at the camera because they're aware that they're being watched by an audience. Um, and you were like in on the joke. We were so in on it. We loved it. You know, Bruce Willis only had one credit up to that point. He had really? been in an uh, episode of Miami Vice. Oh my! Oh, that was another favorite show of mine. Oh, Miami it's Vice, the best. Um, up until like the fifth season, where the writers ran out of ideas. But but uh, yeah, but we that could just show, look at that them. show changed my life. <laughs> in linen, the linen outfits, Don Johnson. I'm, I'm fourteen, tan. trying to dress like Don Johnson. <laughs> You know, trying to wear a blazer like I know what I'm doing. You know. <laughs> well, throw out another choice of yours. I'm really interested to see where you've, you're going. From the past or the present? Either one. Uh, well, you know what? I, I mean, I have children now, and, and my 13-year-old is obsessed with Friends and has watched really? fr- the, all 10 seasons of Friends like five times over. It's like her background noise for homework now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll sit and watch with her. And you know what, man? I've seen this skit 20,000 times, and it's still funny. I, mm-hmm. Every time I, I, you know, I can't not, not laugh, you know. So, and, and I think, you know, between David Schwimmer and Matt LeBlanc, those guys were hugely underrated as comic actors. Oh, Lord, I feel yes. like if it was 40 years earlier, they'd be hanging out with Dick Van Dyke. <clears throat> exactly. You know. Um, yeah, they had the physical comedy thing down. Dick Van, oh, Dyke, Dick Van Show. Dyke Show. Yeah. of course. And Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, where, where would we be without Mary? Yeah. I mean, really. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Friends, I, that's going to go into a capsule somewhere, and yeah. aliens are going to find it. And they'll still get royalties off of it. And, you know? Yes. <laughs> It'll be in syndication and, you know. And the aliens will be laughing because it is so genuinely funny. But it's that camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Again, these well-developed characters. We loved everybody. We wanted to be part of the family. Yeah. We wanted to be on the sofa in the coffee shop, right? Yeah. I mean, you you got my brain cranking about all kinds of shows, you know, between like uh, Cheers and Taxi and, you know, not stuff Mm -hmm. that was necessarily hour long. But then, you know, my mom and my sisters being obsessed with Dynasty and Dallas. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, it it was an incredible time for storytelling. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, the technology was a little soft. Um, you know, it was hard to do. They had to shoot on film, and um, and uh, a lot of the British stuff was shot on TV or the news news cameras in the studio. Mm-hmm. You know, so it looked kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, then there's stuff like Magnum PI, which could be its own movie, which was brilliant, and and you know was was just so ahead of its time at the time you go back and watch it now and once again you're like oh this was a good college project <laughs> actually it's a really good way to put it and yeah. i just think of tom Selleck breaking a smile and i smile yeah. it's you know it's that thing harrison ford has that same well, quality cuz he looks at the camera and he lets you in on it He's like, you're hanging is out with me solving this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And um, I'm driving a Ferrari. And I'm driving a Ferrari that I'm borrowing from this guy. <laughs> we don't know. Because <laughs> he's and got no other car to loan me, I guess. I don't know. Okay, so I just have to mention one of my all-time favorites. Oh, sure. Joss Whedon, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I never got into now, that. I've got to tell you right now, I know so many women that look at Buffy as if she's a goddess. Mm -hmm. I still watch the episodes, and I still find something to laugh about. It was so tongue-in-cheek. It was so black comedy. It was so ridiculous, but it also satisfied our need for this this whole thing we have with vampires, her, her love affair with the beautiful angel. And then there was Spike, 
mm-hmm. crazy British vampire with the, uh, the the blonde hair. I mean, we loved every character. Yeah. But it brought in so many issues too. At the you, you know during the day, it, um, opening up to lesbianism and and you know the loss of a parent and and here's this high schooler out slaying slaying in California, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, that's where you do that. It yeah. was it was the best. It was possibly the best. This week on a very special Dawson's Creek. <laughs> now, every time I hear some, like, really, uh, you know, uh, 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 a, um, I can't think of the word. But, it, you know, if I hear, like, a acoustic guitar intro or something like yeah. that, that just pops into my head. You know? Dawson's Creek. <laughs> um, oh, Lord. I but, think I was in England then. I missed a lot of that. But you that know? was the same era. Yeah. Um, yeah, of yeah. all these like it's true. teenaged angsty shows, the coming of age with these kids. And, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really get into that because I was busy adulting, I think, or something. I don't know. I don't. Uh-huh. Know. I, don't I, I just it just didn't hit my radar. Yeah. I knew it was out there, but I just I just didn't seem to catch it. I don't know. I love it. So, where are you on Star Trek? The original Star Trek. Uh, the the originals are are fun. You know that from 1968, 69, and uh, then I, I uh, in ni- in the 1990s, I was very into the Jean Luc Picard. Oh yeah, uh, stuff. I didn't Hello. I didn't kill myself to watch the show, but I did enjoy it when it came on. I would sit and watch the whole episode and maybe another one. Um, and then of course it went into syndication, so they all play back to back. But um, beyond that, like I tried to watch Deep Space Nine, that didn't really catch me. I know, me um, either. I never got into the other ones so yeah. much. I've got to say, just to listen to Patrick Stewart's voice was oh, yeah. enough for me. I, I was in. Yeah. And I remember being in an antique store in London, in West London, and I heard that voice. I looked up, there was no one else in the store, and there he was buying a piece of furniture. All I wanted him to say was, make it so. Uh, that's all I wanted to hear at that point. I would have died a happy girl. He, there is something so gorgeous about him. The bald head, the, just mm-hmm. the distinguished. And, you know, when you think about the voices of various actors in the Star Morgan Trek series. Freeman, or, well, just, think of Leonard Nimoy, oh, Patrick yeah. Stewart, and Mark Leonard, who played Sarek. They all had these fantastic, deep, resonant voices. Yeah. Well, and they were all Shakespeare guys, too. Exactly. Mostly. You know, they knew how to orate. You <clears throat> know? I think that's how Patrick Stewart got the gig. Oh, Because really? he had actually, he had been off the, the Royal Shakespearean Company. He was in Hollywood. He was lecturing at UCLA. Two producers in the audience said, oh. ah, I think we have our next captain. That guy would look pretty good in a... In a Uniform. leotard? Yeah. I didn't want to say <laughs> leotard, yeah. <laughs> Those impossible costumes. Those impossible costumes. Okay. Um, we are getting the one-minute warning from Uh-oh. the wonderful Bob Small here, our great engineer who has been laughing at us all this show. I think we have to continue this. Oh, yeah. We, we've only I, I haven't even hit my service. modern list of what I'm watching now. I, I, I have to go over and get over Dukes of Hazard. I've got to tell you right now. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, don't know, go honey. watch it. Or you'll ruin it for yourself. <laughs> Matt Nicholson, it's always so great to have you on Center Stage. I love it. You've got such vigor and zest for life, and you personify Center Stage, I feel. We've still got to figure out our our, our na- nicknames for each other. Oh, we're going to have nicknames? We have to have handles for each other on this oh, show. Oh, like, like radio handles, like the morning disc jockey guys, yeah, like Booger yeah. and the Schmooze? Or, yeah, I, you know. I, I don't want to be Booger. But, okay. yeah, let's think about it, okay? So, all right, um, ladies and gentlemen, this is Pamela Kuhn. Matt Mickelson, thank you for being on the show. And the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs>